I think what's really missing is we're still on this trend of reputation and profit margins rather than empowering people and focusing on how to develop our people to deliver on those products that are essential to keep businesses moving forward. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Mike Buckowitz. Mike has been in the construction industry for 10 years, constantly searching for how to bring the humanity back to this industry. He's also about challenging the orthodoxy of the how we've always done it. And he will be launching his own podcast titled Construction Unmasked soon. Welcome to the show, Mike. Great to be here. Thanks, Todd. Uh, well, let's dive in with how you got into the construction industry. Yeah, um, you know, it started back in high school, back in about 2005. Um, I was selected to be a part of a very unique group of students to build a uh, residential home together. And when we did that, um, we actually ended up selling on the market for a half a million dollars. So what was a lot nice. of fun about that is, you know, I got to learn the ins and outs of the industry in terms of the smaller scale work but also just the kind of the back end of uh, some of the design, some you know, design build. And, and I didn't know these terms at the time, but I, I realized that's where I started really getting uh, a hold of what was going on. So it was a lot of fun to see this progress, do it with a team, get that dynamic of how does it work with you know, 25 people? How do you build a house of 25 people? And all of which were inexperienced to start with. So it was a, that's kind of how it all started. And then it progressed from there in terms of my, you know, uh, education as well as the internships that I followed followed uh, pretty close to. Yeah, nice. Well, what do you mean by seeking to bring the humanity back into the industry? That's a good question, Todd. Um, you know, over my ten years in the industry, especially when I started, <clears throat> I I had a gut feeling there was something missing in this industry, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I didn't have enough experience to speak up in specific meetings or, you know, I guess you could say specific jobs because I was always the contributor. I was never a leader at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was just that feeling that followed me all the way to about six years ago where I realized that um, it wasn't just me. And it was mainly because the fact that I was silenced based upon my inexperience, even though that inexperience can actually bring some uh, kind of unusual ideas that essentially can become great ideas. Sure. And so my motivation behind what I'm doing today, especially around conversations uh, with individuals or groups of people, teams, project teams, companies, is all wrapped around the concept that we need to bring the humanity back to construction. And to put it simply, we need to make the, we need to change the topic of soft skills to essential human skills. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I've you know, been trying to do for the last six years, I'm continually, you know, con trying to not only preach it, but practice it so that I can ensure that people can see that the other side of construction and what actually needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think it's an interesting uh, dichotomy there when you bring up soft skills, because all too often in the construction industry, you know, it, there's such a strong focus on hard skills, and, and rightfully mm -hmm. so, you got to be able to do the job and do it right. But the, the soft skills can kind of make people uh, squirm in their seats a little bit of, well, we don't really yeah. want to focus on that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And you know, what's funny about that is we continually push the technical skills 
And we continually say, hey, let's go get certifications. Let's look at this in another way. But technically, we never really think about what is that foundational piece that's essential to build those technical skills even more you know, proactively, more you know, solidly, all of the things that need to happen. So, you know, why do we push away the soft skills when that's the foundational piece that needs to happen when you need, when you want to build up those technical skills? So the way I think about it is you've got, you've got the vertical uh, growth, which is actually the soft skills or human skills, as I like to term it. And then there's the horizontal growth, which is the technical skills. Mm -hmm. So, you know, bottom line is we've been focusing on, you know, technical skills this whole time we're never going to grow. We're just continually spreading ourselves even thinner because nobody knows where we're actually headed. Yeah. Yeah. I like that illustration. So really what you're, you're hitting on here is the culture, the industry culture that's going on right now. So, you know, from your vantage point, what does that culture really look like in its current form? You know, there's, a, there, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, because everybody has a different experience in this industry. What I can tell you is the thematic uh, problem that keeps showing up is the, I guess you could say, they're ignoring the possibilities that could happen if you just take time to understand the culture that is needed. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's really the challenge that I want to continually push forward to people and kind of get to their foresight. Because bottom line is, we continually say, go, 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 go fast, go hard go as cheap as you can, you know, all these things, you know, scope, schedule, budget, we keep pushing and pushing on these things. However, how do we actually influence those so that they are not, they are not the, you know, on the fore center of everybody's thought. They're more focused on, well, wait a second, that's a product of what people can do. So what do we need to do to motivate and empower the people to enable that culture to be of that kind of, you know, environment? So that, I think what's really missing is we're still on this trend of reputation and profit margins rather than empowering people and focusing on how to develop our people to deliver on those products that are essential to keep businesses moving forward. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said there was uh, the, the culture that is needed. What ideally does that look like to you? I think it's a people first culture. And that's something that I say to a lot of folks, and I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of an explanation around it is we first have to put people ahead of our products and our results. Mm -hmm. Reason being is if you look at any software firm, any tech firm that's just exploding right now, especially around these uncertain times, the one thing they have is an understanding of the direction they're headed. So kind of taking from Simon Sinek and from Patrick Lencioni, you really have to start with the why. And the why is not what we do or how we do it. It's why we do it on a daily basis. Why do you get out of bed and get motivated to go out to the field, go out to the job site, maybe even get to go into a really difficult conversation and say, hey, this is for the greater good. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you have to have that motivation and it's different for everybody. The why is not something that everybody has and it's the same and everybody can get on board with it. It's a determination and a definition based upon your central values. So if your central values don't align with why you do it, you're essentially just coming to work to do a job. And that's not what we do in the construction industry. We're changing lives left and right on how we live in an environment. So if we're gonna do that, we first have to take a step back and understand what's your personal motivation and how does that space actually reflect that feeling, that understanding? Mm -hmm. That's something that you know not a lot of people have an opportunity to do. And, I want to, I want to give that understanding, provide that understanding 
you know, uncover what is it that actually motivates people? Because that's what's going to drive this industry forward. And that's what's going to get us out of this hundred year trend of that's how we've always done it. Right. So to play devil's advocate for a moment, why should firms really focus on people when at the end of the day, building the building or, you know, doing, finishing the project, that's what is making money, not focusing on people. So what would you say to those firms pushing back? You know, I would say, let's flip it for a second. Let's go back to when you were a project engineer or an intern at a construction company. How, how did you feel when you were just the kind of almost the laborer in essence, or the, mm-hmm. you know, the person that would make the coffees or make copies or whatever it might've been? How did you feel? How, were you valued? Did you feel valued? Did you feel like you could contribute? Did you feel like you could speak up? And I want them to tap into that emotion and then ask this question. Do you want anybody else in your company to feel the same way you did when you were an intern at a project near the lowest man on the total or woman on the totem pole? Hmm. Would you? And that needs to be the central piece of the people first. You have to start with your personal experiences. You know, the, the, the way in which this world's formulating or we've got the exclusion conversations happening all over the United States right now, you know, and not to bring politics into this, but it's a very interesting conversation where we need to really look inside ourselves and say, when did I feel like that before? How do I reflect and how do I respond to that? Mm-hmm. And if we can do that and start with that self-actualization, that self-realization, that's where we need to start. It's not about who's doing something wrong. It's not pointing the finger, right? You got to turn that finger around and go, what am I doing that's not contributing to this or is contributing to this problem? Mm-hmm. And how do I change that to create that ripple effect around the people and circle of influence so the folks around me see how it's supposed to happen and not continually be told how it's supposed to happen? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, that's really going into conversation styles and, and skills and, and how yeah. how we should talk to each other. Um so what, how, what should that conversation be like? Like, how should we think about interacting with each other on the job site, whether you're the intern or you're the, you know, owner? Well, the conversation should be the same. It, it should be absolutely the same in terms of how you approach a laborer on site or a union worker or how you approach the owner. It shouldn't be different. That's the problem right there is we've got this hierarchical approach that, essentially locks ourselves up. Mm-hmm. It, it, it puts ourselves in a position of saying, well, we are not capable of having a real conversation. You know, one of the biggest things that I learned being on the owner's side was the contractors being so hesitant to tell me the truth or to tell me what's actually happening on site. And so I've had, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with different contractors where I say, listen, I'm not going to put you out there and run you over with a bus. I want to help you achieve this. This is a team effort. So you need to give me a chance to help you. You need to give me a chance to say, hey, it's not your fault. Or, hey, we're in this together. We're going to have to figure this one out. Right. That's, you know, that's really the, the, the challenge right now is we've got this weird dilemma that everybody needs to treat the owner as if they are the, you know, the, I don't know, you want to call it the everlasting customer. The problem is you also have to be a good customer. You have to, you have to treat people like they should be treated and deserve to be treated. So that's really where that human side comes back to it. This episode is brought to you in part by Stand by Ness, a multidiscipline professional services firm serving clients nationally with a strategic focus on AEC, professional services, real estate, 
and manufacturing industries. Through the Stamba Nest family of companies, clients have access to a sophisticated menu of services, including compliance, business and tax advisory, technology, Microsoft solution, Dell Tech ERP software, strategic growth advisory, and next-gen solutions. As an anticipatory organization, Stamba Nest fully utilizes and invests in innovative tools and practices, giving clients direct access to high-level industry expertise that's collaborative, forward-thinking, and future-ready. Connect with them today at stambonest.com to learn more about how to accelerate growth and profitability. They are also a featured sponsor at Applied Software's Digital Agility Summit, a virtual conference on January 21st. It's time to build digital resiliency. Go to digitalagilitysummit.com to claim your ticket today. See you there. Yeah, uh, you know I think it's it's interesting there because there's so much uh, bad blood for for lack of a, a better term that has has been there and has developed these bad habits and so changing that is going to take time. It's going to take everybody really getting on board with, all right, this is how the industry needs to be going forward. It, it's not necessarily just you know, one person kind of pushing that message. It's going to take a lot of voices to, to kind of overcome all the, the bad habits that are formed. Well, yeah. And Todd, you bring up a great point. And I, I want to refer back to one of your podcasts that I listened to around, you know, the marketing construction really does stink. We don't do a good <laughs> job with getting the word out there about how great it can be. And I think right. you're absolutely right. That marketing is a, you know, a tool that needs to be utilized to get this next generation on board with, how sh things should be done, not how things were done. Mm -hmm. And if we're, if we're constantly focused on, like you talked about earlier, the profit margin, the scope, the schedule, the budget, we're, we're continually uh, kicking ourselves in the, you know, kicking ourselves down the road of saying, well, we'll get to the soft skills thing later, or oh, we'll get to the culture. No, that's not going to work anymore. Right. We're, we're going to deter people from actually doing the right thing or doing the things that need to happen for the team to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I was just talking with somebody the other day about uh, mainly on the technology side of how the construction industry is going to look drastically different in the next 10 years with all the contact coming in and relating that back to all, the, all this change going on in the industry. Now is really a, the perfect time to focus on culture and soft skills. While you already are being disrupted, you already have all this uh, influx of technology that is making it easier to collaborate. It's making it easier to communicate. It's lowering those barriers and breaking down those silos. So now is the time to focus on culture, build that great foundation that you can then really uh, use as a, a springboard as the industry evolves and, and changes over the next 10 years. Yeah. So I have to ask you, Todd, what do you think is the, the first step, like the first baby step that needs to occur to get that conversation started. I'm just very curious on your perspective on that. Uh, I, I think having these conversations is, is huge to spread the word that it's okay to talk about soft skills and in the construction industry, because for some reason that seems like it's a taboo topic and like you got to put it over in the corner and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you yeah. know, not everybody's going to want to hear this conversation. And that's seems silly to me that, there's that stigmatism against soft skills. So it's, it's really getting more of these conversations and pushing them out front and center and getting more people engaged in that. And then it starts to people go, Oh, I can talk about that. I, there's a, I think it's interesting. 
as I have these conversations, I find that there's such this deep hunger for people throughout the entire industry to have these conversations. Nobody wants to be the first one to have it though. And so people have to step up and, and start talking about it. I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, I want to add on to that. And I, that's great, Todd. I, I really appreciate you saying that. It makes me kind of fulfills me a little bit because, you know, we don't get to talk about this, you know, and there's not a lot of opportunities to do that. And whenever there is an opportunity, we avoid it because it's right. too hard, right? right? We're going back to what we've always done. But I think the other thing that is missing right now is we also need to take time to understand and change the terminology. Because, you know, if we're continually talking about soft skills, there's going to be that, like you said, that taboo, eh, we don't need that. But if we say, what about the professional human skills? What about, you know, being able to have a tough conversation? What about conflict resolution? You know, all these things that we continually push training out on, yet we never use it, or we never actually take time to understand it. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's another piece is when you have these conversations, make the words yours. Don't use what everybody else understands because there's this, like, for instance, and this is one of my pet peeves is, you know, I love the word collaboration. I think it's used in, you know, a lot of different concepts and a lot of different perspectives. However, it's misused as well. Sure. And continually, I have to correct people saying, no, collaboration is not picking up the phone and telling somebody what to do. Yes, in the essence of de definition on Webster's Dictionary, sure. Yeah, that's, you're collaborating. But guess what? Collaboration is not necessarily what the answer is. Integration of some degree or syncing or whatever you want to call it has more of a direct concept of, hey, you have to connect with the person and listen, actively listen and understand so you can actually get what you need and they also get what they need and feel like it's a productive conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, a big proponent of uh, defining the terms that we use because what uh, collaboration means to me could be totally different and most likely is different than, than somebody else. I always laugh uh, that even on more technical phrases and terms like BIM, you would think there would be a agreed upon definition of what BIM is. And yet if I could ask 10 people what BIM is and I would get 15 different answers. Right. It's just, it's funny to me. Uh, so the impact of, of words is, can't really be overstated. Uh, right. In your mind, how does, how does one word really, how can that impact a conversation? I, I think it can change the dynamic as quickly as, you know, uh, any kind of tone or maybe an emotion that comes out, you know, people are prone to show emotions, even in the professional workplace, and it's getting more and more acceptable because we are people, right? However, when these conversations, especially around things that might be challenging, uh, become more challenging because of a word, we, we tend to back off and go to where we're comfortable, which is either just completely stepping away or ignoring the fact that it needs to be talked about. I think one of the greatest examples that I had that really was fascinating when I was talking to somebody about this previously was the fact that when people say, you know, when people, somebody asks a question and somebody says, I'm too busy. My first reaction emotionally is you don't care. But maybe their, their reaction is I'm actually too busy, but I'd love to have the conversation. So the issue with this one word concept is the fact that 
we don't explain what we what we mean by using the word like you said defining the, the term mm -hmm. because when we use you know coming back to collaboration when we use collaboration you'll have to kind of give some context give the why you know it's coming back to all those basics of what humans need to feel like they're part of the conversation mm -hmm. so that one word and i always say this to people that one word whether it be i'm too busy or this is how we've always done it or even just basically no that's what drives most of the orthodoxy because then you go right back to what you've been doing and there's no exploration of what could be what if right that's always what i ask what if because mm -hmm. there aren't any stupid uh ideas it's just we don't explore the ideas and they become stupid because we have a predisposition predisposition that doesn't allow for it to actually flourish mm -hmm. yeah i i agree with that uh I think it's interesting and funny that you use the example of I'm too busy. It's, that's a huge pet peeve of mine is <laughs> when people say I'm, I'm too busy and that's all they give because I want to send back, like, we're all busy. Like, okay, that's not an excuse. <laughs> give me more than just I'm too busy. That's, that doesn't count, but uh, I, I get that all the time and it, it drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I can, I'm right there with you and you know, you know, one of the things that I've been working really hard on myself, and I, I you know, and I'm not good at this. I, I constantly have to check myself on, okay, what is the tone of this email, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, I'm a very external person. I can show emotion. I can engage with people, and it, it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. However, I'm terrible with tone and electronic stuff. I'm terrible. Like I, I've been told I'm terrible. <laughs> but one of the things I try to do is I try to give a little bit more, right? Kind of what you were saying, where if I'm saying, well. I don't know if I can squeeze that in. However, here's some options I think might work in the near future here that I can help you with. And right. what that tends to do, it opens the door to not, you know, just say no right off the bat and then it just shuts down the entire conversation. If you give this kind of an insight of like, hey, I'd like to understand this. I want to give you space, right? I want to give you that time so I can understand how I can be of assistance. That's when things start moving forward. Even if you're not solving the problem at hand, maybe you're going to be ready to do the next one, right? I think that's something that a lot of people have a hard time with, including myself, because we're all focused on what we need to be doing in front of us instead of looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, for sure. Well, and Tona, an email can be so hard because you, you're writing it with one very uh, clear tone in mind, and that can be read a thousand different ways to somebody else, depending on what they're going through or what they just read or what they just did. You know, there's, there's a lot of factors into that. It is, you know, I, I challenged one of my projects recently, and this is kind of a fun one where I said, here's the moonshot goal. We're going to have zero emails during this project. And everybody kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, why not? We've got Microsoft Teams chat. We've got check weekly check-ins. We've got a phone. So one of those three is going to be a great option because it's a continuance of conversation rather than a broken up pieces of conversations and emails because then you don't get the context or you get this, you know, like you said, misread, con misread tone, yeah. then people just shut down. So why not have this continuing dialect that enables people to say, hmm, I know about that problem because I read this and I was tracking it. Now I can actually follow what's happening. And I understand why this person's angry because they didn't get what they needed a week ago. Right. So it's just, it's, it's just keeping things clear and transparent and keeping people in front of the problems because 
we continually are in a reactive mode in construction. And unfortunately right now, this economy is making us even more reactive, right? Because there's so much uncertainty. Well, what if we could become more proactive in the discussions and conversations with people so that that humanity can be brought back and you can actually work as a team to solve problems rather than pointing fingers? Yeah. So headed into the new year, if I give you a magic wand and you could change something about the industry, what would that one thing be? You know, that's a great question, Todd. And I, I don't believe in magic wands, first of all. <laughs> and I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a one, one stop solution for any of this, but you know, I think the one thing that could be really interesting to see is the, the full adoption of just basic electronic and digitization. And I'm not even talking about, you know, some of the Autodesk solutions that have come out. I'm not even talking about BIM or modeling or, you know, the cloud solutions. I'm just talking basic solutions such as defining the utilization of communication electronically. Because one of the things I think we struggle with as an industry is we consistently are within the same space, such as job trailers, offices, meeting rooms, conference rooms, anything you talk about, but we don't actually, you know, we aren't separated very often. And I think that was something that I believed in for a long time where I thought we were able to um, continually have that dialogue within a group. But the problem with it is, is that we can't do that anymore. And I think I, I was accepting of it immediately. I was like, well, we got to make this better, right? So I think having that opportunity to practice and to understand what is important to them and how do we create an environment and psychological safety to enable that conversation to happen around the un uncomfortability of electronic conversations? I think that's what needs to happen. And that's what I would love to see, the basics of that, so that our conversations around technology, contact, digitization workflows, cloud-based systems, they'll flourish because we're going to have that, have that foundational piece to say, hey, we already know you're uncomfortable. We understand this is hard for you, but we wanna help you understand how to become better. And we wanna help you understand that this is a tech, technical skill that anybody can develop, but we need to have that horizontal or that vertical growth that enables you to actually be able to build on that technical skills. Hey, innovators, make sure to start your new year off right. Don't be blindsided by rising IT costs due to outdated infrastructure and changing technologies. It's time to build digital resiliency at Applied Software's Digital Agility Summit, a virtual conference on January 21st. Join this transformative AEC conversation that will unite you with peers and industry leaders for digital transformation enrichment. As a thank you for being a loyal listener, use the code BTG to get your free basic ticket. That's normally a $50 value. Go to digitalagilitysummit.com to claim your spot today. See you there. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so you've mentioned to me in, in past conversations how uh, it can seem like innovators in the industry are, are kind of on an island by themselves. You know, there, there's plenty of innovators throughout the industry, but why do you think it, it seems isolating at times? No. One of the things that comes to mind when, when you asked me that, and you know, I was thinking about this question previously because I just dealt with a interesting individual that is very factual. 
And, you know, I use StrengthsFinder a lot. And one of the things I've noticed is engineers in our world, they, they kind of hover in the green category. And the green category uh, within StrengthsFinder is the intellectuals, the ones that need time to develop their ideas. They need that quiet time to really understand a problem. And one of the things that happens, though, is all three other quadrants, because there's four of them, um, <clears throat> they suffer. And they, they don't engage people that are more in the orange or more in the purple. These are all, you know, corresponding with the, the person's personality. But when an innovator comes with an idea that's a little bit outside the box, the immediate response that I've seen and I've experienced is no. Or it's more of a convoluted, yeah, go ahead and write that up for me and I'll let you know no later. I mean, that's what you hear <laughs> essentially, right? And I think what happens is we are we are pushed to the limit, the innovators, the the free thinkers, the ones that are on the the other side of the adoption curve. Mm. The, you know, we're consistently pushed to the limit of how many times do I want to hear this, right? How many times do I want to go through the same conversation, do four and a half hours of tabulation of data and everything else to just have the person say the exact same answer they said before? And I think the one thing that's it's it's uh, you know pushing us to the limit is I and I can't say this enough I do not like ROI I hate ROI matter of fact I hate when it's brought up because nobody quite understands return on investment is not necessarily direct or immediate mm-hmm. return on investment is something that should be measured and understood based upon the actual value. The solution may bring and this is you know this is a great segue to the technology conversation within the owner realm yeah. you know it's the same idea where they're continually looking for immediate roi and you're going guys the kpis on this is really what's important how you measure what you're doing is what's important so if you're investing it's like it's like saying i'm going to invest money in a cd and immediately have a return on a return on investment plus interest tomorrow nobody right. nobody nobody knows that so we need to make it a norm. We need to make you need to have un- people understand this is just like putting your money in savings, where you're putting it into a product that's going to provide value, and you're gonna see savings over time. Right. And that's where this training comes into play. Is we have to enable ourselves to understand the different personalities, the different conversations that need to be had, and to even ask, why are you uncomfortable? Is this working for you? If it's not. Then, then pivot. There's nothing to say that the, any technology can't be altered or customized to make sure it works. You don't have to scrap the entire idea. That's the beauty of technology is we have the ability to adapt mm-hmm. and it can adapt fast. And that's, that's great. But unless we're willing to have those conversations around what does it actually mean and why are we using it? Then we're never going to get past that. Well, it's not create, it's not giving me money tomorrow. So why would I ever pay the money to pay the money today? Right. Yeah. I always like to tie uh, innovation to redefining failure and failure in the industry as such this big heavy weight and it has so much power. We, we can't do that because it might fail on this project and then we would blow all of our margins. But really failure is not trying. It's not what we typically think of failure. It's if you're not trying to do something new and try trying to create better efficiencies and streamline better processes, you're already failing. You just don't, you're not aware of it, but you're not getting better. You're not getting better. Yeah. So, so I want, I want to ask you something. 
going back to our conversation a little bit earlier, how would you change that term in order to have that conversation in a more open environment? Because to me, when you say failure, it instantly puts in that reactive chemical. That's the fly, you know, the, the, the what is it, fight or flight. Yeah. And everybody's usually like, uh, sorry, or the ones that are in the field are like, oh, I'll fight you over that. Those aren't words right. I want to hear, right? So how would we redefine that term? What would be a way that we could do that? Uh, I, I think it's, it's a really interesting and tricky thing, and I'm trying to work it through myself. I don't have a good answer for it just yet. <laughs> uh, because even in my definition, my setup of it, I you might have heard some of my own hesitations of saying the word failure as a, a achiever and wanting to uh, get my my gold star. I, I hate even saying the word. So I, I think it's the converse of it of success is trying new things. And so you go about it in that way and not down the, the failure track because failure is so just intrinsically ingrained in us as people that, to not like that. And so, but people want success and people want to go down that road. So you entice them that way, even though it's the, just a different side of the same coin. Yeah. You know, one of the things that comes to mind for me, and this is something I, again, I struggle with as well in terms of how do we redefine failure to have a, a conversation around it is, you know, I read this article and it had been a couple of years ago. It was a really interesting dynamic of what if we talked about it more like mindful failure. And the definition of that was a measured failure that is understood that will ensure success is still reachable, but we're also progressing. Uh And I thought that was a really interesting concept. And this is something that I haven't tried necessarily, but I'm trying to understand it. So when I do utilize that term, it's not going to throw people off and go, well, wait a second. You're just, you're just saying words now. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So I think you're right. I think it, it still instills that, that fear, right? That approaching that fear of failure is so difficult. But if we can change it to say, what if it was mindful failure? What if it was, you know, taking time to understand what you're about to try and realize that there is progress to be had. It just might take a few times. It's like riding a bike, right? You know, you fall down a couple of times, you get scraped up, you get beat up, sure. Unfortunately, in construction, we have such tight profit margins right now that failure is not something that can happen. And when it does, it's disastrous. So what if everybody on the team was on board to redefine failure as, well, what is, what is the one thing we can't do wrong? What is the one thing we need to ensure goes right? Because in essence, we have to choose what we're going to be bad at because we can't be good at everything. Yeah. So that mindful failure is all about what are the things that I know I'm going to have to put to the side and I might not be great at. And what are the things I need to get good at? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I also think you have to pair it with uh, several self-reflection times throughout that process of, uh, you know, it's, it's not just analyzing it at the beginning and then at the end, it's, it's analyzing it constantly throughout the process. Cause then you can find little things of like, Oh, this isn't going exactly the way I thought I'm going to tweak it now before it starts to snowball. And by the end of the project, it's a disaster. I think you can catch some of those things. If, if you are taking the time to honestly sit down and reflect on what is going on and 
probably have some other voices in there too that can see it from different vantage points is is helpful uh, to to keep you honest um but I, I think that's that's huge you know i always say leading my team that it's it's i'm perfectly willing to try something new and if it doesn't work exactly according to plan great we learned something of what didn't work and we know not to do that in the future and how to change it and make it a little better the next time we do it and then you cap all these you know iterations that are progressively getting better I don't know if you know this, and maybe you do. You just essentially describe the scrum process, yeah, or the sprints, right? And that's something yeah. that you know a realization I had about two years ago, and I wish I had had it about ten years ago, to be honest. Was the integrated project delivery process is essentially modeled after the scrum process, and software's sure. had it right since the '90s. That right there is what you explained is the retrospective, and you know I keep. I'm trying to insert these terms that the, you know, the agile project management utilizes. And one of the things that we are struggling with is the fact that we can't actually use the terms without getting kind of scowled at because everybody says, well, that, that works for software, but it may not work for, you know, something else. How do we integrate those processes that have worked for people, but are more adaptable? Because if we don't do that, we're not going to have the bandwidth to see what's possible inside the industry that needs to change over the course of the next five years, if not two years, because everything's changing with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you go about amplifying the voices of innovation? I think the first thing is celebrate small victories. I, I think, you know, giving people a, a place to try new things and not scoff at the idea immediately. You need to give them that opportunity to try and to experiment. You know, we're, I know that times are tough and times are tight in terms of how we deliver projects, but with this specific time, just as you said, Todd, very well, is we have the moment in terms of everything's changing and we can't avoid it now. It's here. Future mm -hmm. is now. And if we give that opportunity to those that are ready to change with it, that's when this empowerment is going to take us over that hump of adoption, of adaptation, and of agile mentality. Because if we can get to that point, we're gonna enable people and the next generation, which I'm very focused on and trying to empower, we're gonna enable them to do great things. And the technology alone, since you know the generation coming in is gonna be very adaptable to technology, even more than myself and probably yours, is we're gonna see this take off because people are gonna be so attuned to it and it's gonna be just very easy to utilize. So we really do have to empower and give that space, that psychological safety for folks to actually speak up, say what they need to say, and give them a chance to try. Because unless we're going to do that and give them that opportunity, we're going to continue down this path of orthodoxy and unfortunate failures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's the, the baby step? there to start moving in that direction? You know, I think it's just, you know, I, I preach this a lot <clears throat> over the course of a lot of conversations, but one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, I always say one small thing. Uh -huh. And that one small thing can be as simple as a basic conversation one-on-one. -on -one. So I don't think it's necessarily, there's this huge process or this book you need to read or this life-changing event. I don't think that exists. I think what needs to happen is, Folks need to take a second 
think about what is the one small thing that I can do with this individual or this team that can enable them to try something and feel like they, hey, we can do this. So, you know, whether it be a conversation, whether it be like maybe a team activity that enables them to open up a little bit more, even just getting to know each other a little bit better, that's going to change the course of where we're headed right now. And if we do that, like I said, each individual that's listening to this podcast today, each individual just tries that one small thing that they've been afraid to do for the course of the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there you go. There's the ripples that need to, that are going to affect so many different people across the United States, across the world. And yeah. that's what's going to enable people to make this change stick and to progress and to grow. And that's what's going to essentially attract that next generation to not only change the course of this industry, but change the way technology is used for innovation within construction and industrialized construction as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the one small thing mantra. One that's small great. thing. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm going to use that. <laughs> that's great. Please do. Uh, so how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more information? Well, I'm always on LinkedIn, uh, Mike Buckowitz. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm constantly on there trying to promote uh, your stuff, Todd, because I really love it. Uh, a bunch of other folks as well. Um, but you, you can always email me. Um, we'll have the uh, Construction Unmasked podcast coming out next year. Really looking forward to it. We're, uh, we're going to be pushing out some topics such as what we talked about today and more. And it's mostly just to have more conversations such as, such as what you're having within yours. And, you know, I... You know, I want to say, Todd, before we uh, end this today is, you know, I, I was losing my uh, motivation and my, um, I guess you could say, just the passion I had for construction going into this industry. And when I got to listen to your podcast the first time about six months ago, I rediscovered it. So I hope that people that listen to this today can understand the, the impact you're having. And we need to continue doing this. We can't let this go. This is so important to have these conversations so that folks feel like they have a moment to talk about what's meaningful for them. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, that's a uh, very, very honored uh, for that. Uh, it's I'm having a blast with these conversations. So it's uh, uh, yeah, I think putting the, the spotlight on the industry and, and, and where it's, it's going and the potential here is, is super exciting. So it's gets Absolutely. me, gets me uh, all fired up to talk about it. Uh, so last question for you, what does innovation mean to you? I love this question. Innovation <laughs> means so much to me, but the one thing it does mean is change in real time. Mm-hmm. And reason why I say that is it's about being comfortable, being uncomfortable in every moment of every day, because innovation is not about being comfortable. It's about actually growing. And if we are to grow, we have to be uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable inflicts pain upon the egos in which we have developed based upon what we think we know. So I, you know, if I could encourage one thing for everybody out there right now, stay curious, stay curious, ask questions, be open. Because if we can do that and that one small thing to start us off, that would change the way innovation is looked at in this industry. Yeah. Well, you're just full of good one-liner phrases, uh, one small thing, and then the be comfortable with uncomfortability. I, I like it. <laughs> I can't take credit for that one. That's been out there. I just utilize it because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us today, Mike. Really enjoyed the uh, conversation. My pleasure. Thank you, Todd. 
And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, do not underestimate an idea solely based on where or who is bringing it forward. Sometimes the best and most innovative ideas come from unlikely sources who can provide fresh eyes and perspectives. Everyone needs to have a healthy respect for perspectives. Second take, soft skills are incredibly important and far undervalued in construction. It provides a foundational element for growth. Mike talked a lot about the need for a people first culture. I couldn't agree with this more. A healthy culture is so important. You need to make people feel heard and unpack the why behind what they are doing. I loved when Mike said, you are ignoring the possibilities that could happen if you don't take the time to understand the culture that is needed. Now is the time to place a focus on culture. Technology is making it easier to collaborate and communicate, but it is still up to you to bring down the barriers. Enough with the silos. My final take, it is okay to be uncomfortable. Stay curious and ask questions. That is when true innovation can thrive. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Apply Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating.